Hey everyone, welcome to uh, Single Minded Conversations. I'm your host, Jesse Single. This is a uh, very impromptu one. I didn't think I'd have time to do one today, but I, I realized I could. I got to figure out like the best way to deal with scheduling these. I worry I don't fear them, like schedule them enough in advance. Uh, sometimes, like this one, I only did an hour in advance. We have a smaller room than usual, so uh, I will definitely be relying on you to have questions more than usual. So folks should hop in the queue if they have any questions. I have less prepared than usual. The one thing I wanted to call attention to was Dan Engbar in um, The Atlantic. He wrote a really good piece on the question of Joe Rogan and misinformation and whether to what extent he is causing people to adopt more anti-vax stats than they would or, or to act in unhealthy ways. It was so much better than 99% of the discourse I've said on this subject because, like, Engbar is sort of a pro at, at social science writing. Um, he's just a great journalist, and I, I quote him in my book and stuff. So he just sort of looks carefully at the available evidence on whether Rogan has a causal impact on his viewers' uh, views or behaviors on vaccines. And unsurprisingly, there's there's not much there. There's, like, maybe a little bit of an effect, but this is actually a really hard thing to establish causally, like whether exposure to XYZ media causes someone to do something they wouldn't have done otherwise, because there are so many confounds, meaning the sort of person who listens to Joe Rogan probably has certain other characteristics. And those characteristics might drive them to be more vaccine skeptical or Fauci skeptical or CDC skeptical. As Engbar points out, a lot of like, respected authorities just treat it as a given that Joe Rogan has a specific predictable impact on people's views and behavior. And I'm going to write about this in my newsletter, but that's sort of a form of misinformation itself. It like really exaggerates what we know and we don't know about media. And I, um, you know, I came up in an age where uh, Al Gore freaking out about video game, Tipper Gore, uh, rap music, real moral panic about Grand Theft Auto. I love the South Park movie, which was all about those sorts of panics. One of the first articles I ever wrote was a book review about the comic book scare where Congress, there were congressional hearings about comic books in the 50s because people were so convinced comic books were taking nice suburban kids and turning them into murderers. Uh, and some of these comic books were quite violent, but it's just weird to me that the people who understand that there's not such a straight line between playing violent video games for hundreds of hours, as a lot of kids do, and hurting someone will then turn around and say that because Joe Rogan has said some very dumb and conspiratorial stuff, but it's a tiny fraction of what he said, that that is causing people to believe things they shouldn't believe or do things they shouldn't do. So, yeah, check out Dan Angbar's uh, article in The Atlantic. He was a good pickup for them. Yasarian, what's up? Anyone else wants to get in the queue? You will have a lot of time for questions today. What's up, man? Hey, Jesse. So I uh, listened earlier today to the latest bar pod um, on the knitting controversy. Oh, my and, God. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> exactly. What else can you say? You know, and Katie touched on this briefly, but it's something that's been pinging around in my mind. And, you know, I've how often do you have to give these disclaimers? You know, I've been a liberal all my life, of, you know the classic definition of feminism I've always believed in, but I've always had very strong female role models in my life. My mom, my sister, my aunt, my cousin, my wife, certainly now my daughter. Um, and so, you know, I don't want to come across as a crank and this gets into sort of like, you know, spinning off into Jordan Peterson land, which can be good and bad depending on, on 
on what you're getting from him, but why is it does it does it seem like these things are happening in female dominated spaces like young adult fiction like knitting and it's been bouncing around in my head in part because you know my big activity is is fly fishing right and that is a pretty white dude dominated activity and you know i happen to be a white dude but that's not why i like it i like it because i'm an introvert and a misanthrope and i like getting away from um, and, but it was interesting to me, you know, in the, in the, in the aftermath of the Floyd thing, there was a little flurry in the fly fishing community of some, some woke stuff, but not much. And it seems to have mostly subsided. And then a few months ago, Patagonia, you know, they make a bunch of fly fishing gear. The, the guy who founded it, Von Chenard is a big fly fisherman and they published, you know, they have their sort of activism wing and they finally published a piece about like being queer in the fly fishing community and i was like oh boy here we go this will be interesting and then i looked and i saw it and it was written by a woman which i was like all right that's interesting because numerically speaking there aren't that many you know female fly fish i don't want to overstate it but they're a distinct minority and then so you know i was trying to get over my eye rolling about it my initial just eye rolling response to it but i was like no you know, give it a chance, see what she has to say. And then it was like this, it was almost parodic, right? Because she's writing this as the, as from the position of being this, of, of queerness, a queer woman. And she's, her queerness is that she's bisexual, right? And so she's conventionally attractive. She's in a long-term relationship with a man, but it's this whole, you know, long thing about the, the problems in the fly fishing community uh, you know, around her queer identity. It was just like, you almost... What did she identify as like the... I'm just trying to see how, think how that could even come up with like a solitary, in a solitary sport. Well, it's, this is, and I was going to quote you from this. This is my favorite part of the piece. She says, you know, I remember, this is quoting, I remember being in the, in the camp kitchen with a crew of other fishing guides. We were giddy with the high of a day of big white water and bigger cutthroat trout. The conversation was congenial, as I lightly commented that gender is a social construct, not something based on our anatomy. A fellow guy, he straight in the eye and with a sneer said, tell that to my dick. And it's like, <laughs> I mean, the I mean that's, that's obviously a mean response, but it's, yeah. yeah, yeah, I mean, no, well, not a I think, response, but it's like. You're in the back. Yeah, no, it, that's dude. And then you're guys, like, I like you can't, you can't expect them. The social construct. Yeah. I mean, it'd be like if I went, if I hung out in a liberal community and then I, you know, things are going fine. And then I just casually made a pretty conservative comment. You would expect it's just funny that they, yeah. I mean, we've, with this has been a theme lately, but like there is, I don't know. People want to feel like they're victimized and surely in a lot of these communities, you wouldn't want, it's probably harder to be, a woman or queer, but like something like that, where it's like, you're literally just trying to preach to them about your politics and they're not going to be interested. You, you could have known that probably wasn't going to go well. Well, I lightly comment, like what do you lightly, yeah. around talking about the fishing? Oh, what patterns were they taking today? Oh, I got a big one on a grasshopper pattern. Like, Oh, also fishy you know, gender is a, yeah. <laughs> gender is a social construct. Yeah. And I mean, one of the things like fly fishing, there's a lot of elitism and stuff. And obviously there, there can be a high barrier of entry in terms of 
technique and and time away and the, the travel and the gear and all that stuff but truly it's true that like the fish do not give a shit right like the fish have no idea who you are. <laughs> like you can either catch them or not, but they are not discriminating against you based on any of these intrinsic qualities. Right. So anyway, it was just like, I don't know. You always have to be cautious around your priors, but like the fact that this was written by a woman, right? I was like, I don't know. It play. It's like, what is it about this this social movement? What component of it that seems to have this distinctly? feminized aspect to it is it that feminine aggression tends to be reputational is it i i don't know and i may be making too much of it but it's just like the knitting thing i mean the knitting it's just crazy the knitting thing is just legit crazy and it's like how i don't i don't understand it yeah i mean i i do think like there's probably average level differences in that in that the way men and women handle conflicts and i think men are more likely to be just very aggressive and to physically fight and beat up on one another so any kind of online fighting is you'll be better at it if you do the more like emotional warfare and stuff like this. I mean, I want to be careful too, because it's not something I know much about. I just know that uh, I think there's like a correlation there. That being said, if we went to like the most toxic parts of the MAGA internet, we wouldn't find healthy communities there either. So I don't know. No, I, that's true. And I mean, I, I certainly, I mean, there is such a thing as toxic masculinity. Absolutely. Definitely. And there's, there's a huge problem on the right with, you know, it's interesting because again, I'm a liberal, but I own, I own a few firearms and I'll go to the range now and then. And, you know, there's a lot of anti Joe Biden sentiment there. Having said that though, one of the fascinating things is, you know, I live in a liberal enclave in the Bay area, you know, that's mostly white and Asian. And one place where I regularly see black people is at their shooting range. Yeah. I think and they often, they often have like anti leftist, you know, I saw a guy was behind the line, guy, black, big black guy who was wearing an Alex Jones t-shirt. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. Anyway, I appreciate the time as always, Jesse, you just touched on something that's been bouncing around my head and, and you know, maybe it's just me and, and you do have to be careful and not let, you know. Yeah, no, I mean, I think there's just... something there. I don't, I just want to be, yeah, like you're saying, you got to be careful. I don't want to engage in like stereotyping, but I, I don't know. I, I believe in some sex differences. So why wouldn't that apply here? But um, anyway, yeah. thanks for the call. Thank you. I like potatoes is, I believe, a first time caller. Um, actually, I've been calling before. It's just, uh, I modify the name each time. Just try to think of something fun for you to bring. Oh, okay. I do like potatoes. I had potatoes today. Yeah, uh, anyways, uh, I dropped in around the time you were talking about moral panics, and I actually, you kind of touched, have touched on this in prior podcasts about, like, uh, uh, video games, comics, and stuff. Um, something I've seen recently online in recent, in, especially, like, after, like, PewDiePie and Dave Chappelle and that kind of thing, uh, people talking about how jokes and edgy humor can lead to real-world violence. You might have seen those arguments, uh, for example, for Chappelle for uh, arguing that his jokes were de dehumanizing uh, yeah. potentially may potentially lead some slippery slope down the line. It's towards... often structured as like these jokes contribute to an environment, yeah. which, which is a very yeah. vague. It's yeah. It just, it, I, for me, it sounds, it has that a very more than strong, more than subtle echo of the, those prior moral panics. And I wasn't sure what your thoughts on were on these situations. I, I get that trans people absolutely are disproportionately uh, attacked, though you have talked about some potential extenuating factors and variables. 
I wanted to get your view on the idea of jokes leading, kind of de- leading to ga- uh, violence or real-world consequences. I- I'm sure it exists, but I wanted to get your two cents on it. Yeah, I, I people make a million offensive jokes about a million things every day, and most forms of violence have gone down over time as we've had freer and freer discourse and more fucked up online communities. I just I don't think there's a real connection there. I, obviously, at the margins, there's some people who because of certain jokes, it could nudge them this way or that way. But in terms of the reasons we respect people or don't respect people or treat them well or treat them poorly or are bigoted or are tolerant, uh, it's not like hearing jokes causes that. It's, it's, I mean, this gets back to the Joe Rogan thing where, like, if Joe Rogan listeners are vaccine hesitant, it is for much more complicated reasons than Joe Rogan saying stuff. So I, I think the same logic applies here, and I think it's a form of backward reasoning where there's always going to be people who are puritanical about this stuff and who want to shut down offensive jokes. So if they're conservatives, they'll say, you know, these jokes are dangerous to the war effort if there's a war. If they're liberal, they'll say these jokes cause harm to marginalized people. But especially with Chappelle, where like I didn't even love his his last special. I think he I think he complains a little bit too much given he's a super duper millionaire. But <laughs> it, it, it wasn't like he made these offensive jokes and that was the end of the story. It was paired with a pretty humanizing story about a trans woman he knew who killed herself. So that I just I'm trying to imagine the human being who, as a result solely of watching Dave Chappelle, decides they have less respect for trans people. It's just I don't know. Maybe it's a failure of imagination on my part, but I'm just not seeing it. Right. Yeah, I, I personally, you're preaching the choir. It was, in my view, it was the weakest of the specials. I talked with my brother about it, like my own views, and he even was he was thinking from the perspective, the central thesis being like uh, how uh, trans rights have become a lot more prominent in like at least after the Caitlyn Jenner came out, yep. uh, and, well, as opposed to the momentum of black of uh, the black community. Obviously, these are apples and oranges cases, and he even brought up uh, could someone transition to a different race, the whole transracial thing, uh, and the whole Hypatia article. You know that. I know that, and other people on this thing listen to that. I'm just not sure the average Joe and Jane are necessarily going to be familiar with the intricacies between sex and gender. Honestly, I thought that Dave Chappelle uh, kind of – pardon my French, but fucked up when it came to – not in a big way, just not kind of conflating the two. Uh, yeah, I don't think he used the right language. He he clearly wasn't like read up on it, but he was coming from a raw place and talking about it. Yeah, I mean, I tried to explain that to my brother, and unless you're really familiar with like Kinsey, I think it was John Money who coined the term sex, the sex gender distinction. But yeah, he was he. Unless you're familiar with that stuff, this is going to be all Greek to you. Yeah. So I don't know. Anyways, that's all. I, I just want to get my two cents out there and have you read my weird twi- uh, weird username for this day. So I'll let you get going. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I like potatoes. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's something to the horseshoe theory of um, a certain kind of person likes to ban books and to get people in trouble for making nasty jokes or rude jokes. And I think it's a similar uh, personality type. It just manifests itself differently depending on their ideology. What's up, Patrick? Hey, Jesse, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Okay, I have a very important question for you as a Californian. You have now, as far as I can tell, been both to Northern California and Southern California. Yep. Gun to your head. Which one's better? Settle the debate. Make a declaration. I think Northern California is better. I mean, they have a similar problem. Okay, I'm glad it was correct. (laughs) Excuse me. They have similar... They have similar problems with like wildfires and housing costs, 
But um, setting that aside, if you could afford to live there, the Bay Area, I, I can't do the traffic, man. Like, I, I've been trying to see people who live out here while I'm here, but just knowing that every fucking trip is, like, at least 45 minutes. It's also, if you like walking, which I, I walk everywhere in New York, and you just can't, these are all very stale um, observations. But they're, both are actually spectacularly beautiful. I did a hike today, 25 minutes from an Airbnb in, like, in Hollywood, North Hollywood, in just insane nature we don't even have in the Northeast. Um, so it's amazing, and people sleep on the, the beauty of L.A. But anyway, I take it you're a NorCal guy? I am a NorCal guy, uh, Oakland specifically. Um, I pretty much agree with you on all those points. I actually grew up in Southern California. Uh, I was from Bakersfield, or as I call it, uh, North North right. LA. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, but that's kind of the main problem about LA is that I think LA has better food, at least for me, for some of my particular tastes. But um, the traffic is just a nightmare there, where like getting like anywhere else would be like a 15 minute drive can take like up to an hour or two. Yeah. Whereas, uh, in the Bay area, we do have bad traffic spots, but it's nothing. That's just like you. I, I honestly think that's probably why the Joe Rogan experience is so popular. There's so many people at LA traffic who just need seven hours to kill. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I also, I, I know the BART, I think the BART has a bad reputation. I found it to be overall fine. It can convey you long distances in the Bay area very quickly. And, yeah, better weather in in the Bay Area. Better, more clo- even closer natural beauty. You have Tahoe if you can get there. So, yeah, I'm Team NorCal. I do think LA has much better food and a much uh, better variety of food. Uh, I just had like a random Mexican bodega uh, torta last night. It was delicious. So, anyway, I'm glad we were able to settle this, and now no one has to <laughs> argue about it anymore. The matter's done. All right, thanks, yeah. Jesse. Thanks, Patrick. Eric, don't make me choose between geographical regions. It's very hard. Okay, I was I was gonna I was gonna vouch for the uh, Orange County, but I don't want to I don't want to further that debate anymore since uh, I, I've become dead inside as a Orange County person from living here for thirty seven years. Um, <laughs> but um, what do you think? Um, maybe it's like just willful sort of I want to say ignorance, but like as far as like the anti Joe Rogan or just like the anti sort of like alternative uh, media. What do you think it is that makes the left, like people all, like always say on the hive mind left that they, um, that they think that like anyone who listens to Alex Jones or, or Joe Rogan, like takes their, whatever they say is like divine writ and versus like, I'm pretty like conservative libertarian guy. Like, I listen to Joe Rogan from time to time, but like, I think some of the stuff they even like from the right, like, is pretty batshit crazy. I'm, yeah. I'm I don't take it seriously, and like, it's just weird how they think that anyone who listens to any of their guests is going to take what their guests say as like divine writ. I don't know what you think like leads to that on sort of the like hive mind left that is just out for Joe Rogan's scalp. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. It's a good question. I think people just don't really have a realistic model of the average listener's relationship to Joe Rogan, where it's probably a lot of having him on the background, tuning in, tuning out, not listening to every interview. Um, And the show is very long, and a lot of people who hate him are not going to sit through it and try to listen to the whole thing. 
there's also you know he does their the worst most conspiratorial bits are pretty are pretty bad and pretty gonzo i think and uh, oh, yeah, me, yeah especially like the covid stuff where like you know like even though like i'm more on the libertarian side like i'm not like by any means like buying into like the ivermectin whatever yeah like like, like the the protein and the vaccines is going to kill us all. Like, you know, like it's, it's like, I'm pretty able to like filter out like the crazy guests. Yeah. Well, I heard on decoding the gurus, which is an interesting and and well-researched podcast. Another example is Rogan. He just, he spread this, this rumor that um, there was basically a big gunfight. I don't even remember where in some city and people were shot and the DA didn't press charges. And, the reason the DA didn't press charges is because none of the witnesses would talk. There was literally no way to build a case without witnesses talking. I think they were afraid of getting retaliation or whatever. And as a DA, you, you can't press a case if you don't realistically think you can win or you're not supposed to. And this became a right-wing conspiracy theory about the DA being a progressive. And I think there was a George Soros angle. Maybe Soros supported them. And, you know, Rogan just repeats all this stuff. And I understand there are certain complicated technical issues where Joe Rogan is not realistically going to get everything right. But this is like, you Google it, and there's immediately a fact check explaining it's it's false. So I just wish, um, I don't know, I, he is just some dude with a mic, but he's not that anymore. He has millions of listeners, and it would, it would not, it's low-hanging fruit to just clean up some of the more dumb conspiracy theorizing, and I wish he would do that. So I think, I think if you're a liberal and you're already predisposed to hate Joe Rogan and his listeners, you already, you have no shortage of fodder to try to bash him, but... No, I obviously don't think every Joe Rogan listener believes everything he says because, you know, that's not how people interact with media figures. Yep. And um, just a random question. Uh, Like, I know that um, I don't know if you interact with uh, uh, Red Steez or Stephen L. Miller. Uh, A little bit, yeah. Yeah. I think think he'd be like a a, a great, you know, guest to have on the the podcast sometime because he sort of has a – a knack <laughs> as he titles his podcast versus media. So yeah, I, I, I think it'd be a great for you guys to sort of uh, hash things out. I think it'd be a great. Thanks, Eric. I think it's a good idea. He's a, he's a smart guy. Uh, Carl, what is up? <clears throat> Excuse me. Carl, you must unmute your mic if you wish to speak. All right. Uh, you sorry. I'm skipping you temporarily just to get. Oh, Carl. Oh no, I dropped Carl. Carl, if you come back on the uh, in the queue, I will get you next. But first, Jane. Sorry about that, Carl. Hey, Jesse. Thank you so much for opening up another space so quickly. Um, I missed your um, call in last night. I think you had another one. Um, I so there's no topic, right? It just seems like you're just want to chat about anything tonight. Is that what you're going to do? Yes. Yep, within reason, anything. Oh, well, yeah. Um, no, I, I was kind of wondering what you thought of um, Nick Kristoff running for governor in Oregon. and what, or I mean, opinion not necessarily of Nick Kristoff, but of the, the idea of a journalist of that kind of – I really like his work. I've always liked his work. Um, Caliber kind of then switching over into politics. and. Oh, that's yeah, – I, dude, I didn't even know that happened. I haven't been on the news much today. That's fascinating. Oh, no, he's been – you know, he's announced it a while ago. Um, I totally, I completely missed that. Wow. That shows them out of the loop. I, I, my first impulse is I, it's just going to be very interesting watching him. Um, 
I'm embarrassed I missed that. But watching someone switch from one role to the other, especially because, like, as an opinion columnist, there's such overlap there with, like, with, you know, speech writing and making points clearly and crisply. That's really interesting. Yeah. Anyway, I thought it was interesting. Um, (laughs) I'm so little off around this. I apologize. Thanks for taking my my call. Of course. I'm going to look into this more now and develop an opinion on it. Carl, I brought you back. All right. My last chance. Did I get it? Yes, we're good. All right. You went to University of Michigan, right? Yeah, I finished up there. Yeah, I had my last two years of college. Okay, cool. Yeah, so I um I've lived in the Bay Area and spent a lot of time in New York, but I I grew up in Ann Arbor, so now I'm back here, uh, with family. And I'm wondering what what do you remember about Ann Arbor, and like how do you describe it to people now? That like with your with your based on your limited experience there. Um, I I liked it. It's a nice town. I was I wish I'd been there all four years because I had this sort of fractured college experience. I I do remember at the time. I don't think we were in particularly culture warry days on the left. Like this would have been 2005 ish. I did not recognize the idea that places like Michigan were like hotbeds of Marxism or whatever uh, that I often heard. I listened to a lot of far right radio then. So I was fascinated by it. And I, I, I would drive 12 hours home to Boston and lick it, listen to um, uh, who was it? Michael Levin, Sean Hannity, those fuckers. And uh. it, it was interesting in retrospect, how little of that I saw as a town, it's like really, really pleasant. It's sort of probably the perfect size, has the perfect amount of stuff. I do think I have a little bit of culture shock when I'm in the Midwest because it's sort of similar to California, actually. It's like much less cynical and sarcastic. Um, and just I think the Northeast and the I-95 corridor, especially in New York, Boston, have like a very strong sense of place and very specific sense of humor. Um, so I'm not sure I would like fit in in Ann Arbor in the long run, but I, I found it to be a very pleasant place to live, and, and I like it a lot. Cool, yeah. I mean, it's, I, I graduated um, from grad school a couple of years before you were around. And I, yeah, I don't remember any of this culture war stuff back then. And I would say it's not really anything notable here compared to any other college town at this point. Um, and it's, uh, you know, if uh, when global warming takes all the fresh water think of uh think of ann arbor and michigan <laughs> there we go i will say i visited my friend in madison when i was there uh and i actually I, it seemed like madison was maybe a cooler place but that could just be you're visiting a place and you uh are temporarily enamored by it but anyway yeah i think it's like if lansing and ann arbor were combined into one and you had the power of the state capital and like a college town you'd probably get madison um, oh, i, like I mean Lan- like east lansing is obviously a college town but um, if you kind of combine both, maybe you'd have the the same kind of power and population. We should develop the technology to force cities to mate and then live in their offspring. It's a good, good idea. idea. Yep. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks, Phil. Uh, all right. You're sorry. If you can make it a quick one just because it's your second so I can get to the others, but go for it. No, no, I appreciate that, Jesse. And just totally shifting gears, getting back to the, the California discussion, I just wanted to ask first if you did have a chance to drive down PCH. Oh, yeah. No, I, I took uh, Highway 1. I think it's Highway 1 all the way from San Francisco to here, and it was, like, absolutely spectacular. I can't remember ever doing a drive like that, and it's, it's uh, like, a spiritual experience. I mean, I, I'm not saying anything anyone who, who's seen it doesn't know, but it's just absolutely incredible. I was so lucky I got to do it. Yeah, Big Sur is just one of those places that's sort of so amazing that I, I'm just insanely envious of everybody who gets to live there. Um, yeah. I would say, like, anyone visiting California, you should knock a day off of your – if you're anyone lucky enough to do this, like, sacrifice a whole day in L.A. or San Francisco just to do as much of that drive as you can and do some hiking and stuff. It's just that incredible. Yeah. 
And then the other piece I'll say is I'm from Southern California originally, but I live, I've lived up in the Bay Area for a long time. And I do hate the traffic in the L.A. based and it's pretty appalling. But um, the thing that Southern California definitely has over Northern California is like museums. Yeah. So I don't know how much more time you've got, but like the Getty in Malibu is sort of mind blowing, you know, Roman villa perched on a hillside overlooking the Pacific in Malibu. And then the, Ooh, the new that'll Getty. Be next. I'm not going to get to check that out, but I'll do it next yeah. time. And then you got the, the Norton Simon and the new Getty on the Sepulveda Pass. I mean, there's a, there's some really world-class museums in LA. So people love to harsh in LA for its lack of culture and, and, in many respects, that's not an untrue remark, but especially when people up here in the Bay Area do it, I'm always, I'm always defensive, and I'm always like, well, there's some nice, there's some decent museums in San Francisco in the Bay Area, but LA's museums are, are truly world class. I also, so. I don't see how it could be that LA has a lack of culture, maybe like a lack of a certain kind of highbrow culture, but it's like a city with so many different uh, ethnic groups and and so much music and art and food. I, I that would surprise oh. me. You probably just need to know where to look. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's the highbrow culture, right? It's the the old money. The old money in in California is San Francisco, right? Yeah, I think and that makes sense. The new money is L.A. And so there's that there's that certain sense of snobbery. But um, no, I always enjoy it down there. I still have friends and family down there. And uh, if it weren't for the traffic, um, and then also you can get I don't know. I don't know what it's like right now, but certainly if you have the the Santa Ana winds coming through or a good rainstorm that cleans up the air, you know, you can be in West L.A., Santa Monica, Westwood, and you can look up and you can see all the way to downtown L.A. with the San Gabriels covered in snow behind them. And it's sort of it's insane. Yeah, it it can be jaw dropping. Anyway, that's it. Thanks. Thanks again, Jesse. Thanks, man. Andrew, what is up? We're going to do Andrew and then Mickey and then probably wrap it up with that. Hey, Jesse. Um, hey. I've, I've heard you a couple times uh, say that Joe Rogan could afford to hire the best fact checker yeah. in the country. And then, like, you very specifically say $200,000. So I'm just curious, in, like, journalism circles, is there some well-known best fact checker in the country that costs $200,000 <laughs> like a year? In- MVP or AP power rankings of the best fact checkers? Yeah, like some lady's name, Isabella Factacheca. And, right. Like, the the She's queen of fact checking. No, there. Well, I I I. So I bet the fact best fact checkers work for uh, the Atlantic and the New Yorker because they still have intact fact checking departments. Probably New York Magazine. And then there's freelance fact checkers who do book work who, you know, charge fifty bucks and up an hour. Um, no, I and the two hundred thousand thing was just completely off the top of my head. I okay. bet the very best fact checkers might make more than that. But for journalists, like our expectation of salary is so low that. Uh, compared to like tech bros or legal bros, two hundred thousand dollars is generous. But yeah, and I'm also not sure my idea would work. To be fair, I just, I you know, I just think he has shot himself in the foot. And when you have that much money, why not experiment? Why not try the fact checking thing? I don't know. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I so yeah, that was a question. And, and another question I had is, um, you know, to the thought that you know we we don't even fact checking. We're always fact checking relative to what the expert consensus is, which changes over time. Yeah. So I, I sometimes see that as like a, something that's given up and free. And actually, you know what? I need to go. There is a baby that needs me. Okay. <laughs> I think I can imagine what Andrew was uh, getting at was that not everything is easily fact checkable because some things like, you know, some very relevant questions like should we mask kids and what age? It would be very hard to fact check that and come up with like a yes or no answer because it's a question of values and priorities and probabilities. So 
yeah, I'm just talking about the the fucking lowest hanging fruit, the the sometimes dumb shit that gets onto Joe Rogan's show that could very easily be fact checked, like the example I gave with the DA and the uh, the shootout. What's up, Mickey? Hey, Jesse, can you hear me? I can. Great. Yeah, I was actually just going to weigh in on the thing that I think that you're talking about, the, the shooting. Um, would, is that the shooting that happened in Chicago at, like, the beginning of the fall? Like, so, is, does that ring a bell? I, it Whereas, may like, have multiple been people were. Yeah. Okay, if I was just – because if it is the thing that you're talking about, I just want to weigh in on it because I, I, I actually did pay a decent amount of attention to that when it happened. And if it is that particular thing, the, the shooting was actually caught on video. Yeah. And there's like multiple people shooting into this house. And then the cops show up on video and arrest the dudes, and including like a dude that got shot and, and I think later died um, in the shootout there. So I don't know. I, I do know that there's been other cases in the past in Chicago where a, a similar, oh, I think a child was shot and then nobody would. Um, and they couldn't directly tie the person without a without a witness or something like that. But I don't know if in the circumstance of that big shootout, I think that the uh, the thing was that um, Kim Fox, the DA of Chicago, called it like um, uh, mutual combat. Yes, like that. That, it was like yeah. okay, this was the one they were talking about on the uh, right decoding the gurus. So right, you're saying right. they had video evidence. There's video of the actual shootout and the oh. cops arriving on video. So I I just wanted to bring that up because I would imagine that. I would imagine that you'd be able to bring a case without, you know, somebody being like willing to take the stand in that case. If you have it's video like, of we, it. Yeah, we arrested this dude right here and you can see that six seconds before he was, you know, shooting, you know, shooting. Okay. Into this building. I was taking the decoding the girls guys word for it. I, this is something I mean, you're, you're you're the journalist. I'm just a, I'm no, 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 you're, no it's absolutely. I'm just saying yeah. I should look into this more. Maybe the next call in. Uh, show I do, I will update people on this because if there's someone on video captured firing shots, mm-hmm. then of course they should be charged because they're doing it. Yeah, it's 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 pretty bonkers. I remember like reading that and just being like, oh my God, what's happening? I just live in a, in a city that's like has terrible crime and I just pay attention to a lot of it like around the country. So it's just like, it's oh my scary. God. Yeah. 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 Anyway, just wanted to just wanted to weigh in on that. That's very helpful, Mickey. I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Thanks. All right, everyone. Uh, I think it's a good place to wrap it up. We'll have a slightly shorter Friday show. But um, as always, I appreciate you guys coming in to check these out. I appreciate your questions. And if you like what I'm doing here, please spread the word. Grow the movement. Get more people in here. Get more people on call in. Uh, Yeah, I hope everyone has a good weekend. I will go home Sunday. So I'll be back in New York complaining about the cold uh, next time you hear from me. Thanks, everyone.